Today is Thursday, August 4th, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. A congresswoman killed in a deadly car accident. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Let's get through the news of the day together. Joining me to get through it, as always, Trey Gons Phillips, Billy Hallowell from CBN's FaithWire with a look at what's coming up. Guys, what's going on? Happy Thursday, Friday, Junior to you. One more day. One more day. And the weekend will be here. <laughs> it's mm. been a good week, right? I think yes. it's been a good week. As crazy as the yes. news is, it's been a good week. And I know the stories are heavy today. But. Yes, it is. It's tough. I mean, you want to be excited going into the weekend. But, man, you see some of these stories going on in this tragic car accident, which we'll have the details on yeah. in a minute. Just just horrific stuff. And we need to be in prayer as Christians for a lot of things. And you'll definitely have a list of those as we go through the news today. And um, on the main thing, we're going to be breaking down what happened exactly in this Kansas abortion referendum with reporting from CBN's Heather Sells. But up first today are news in 90 seconds, Republican Indiana Representative Jackie Walorski died yesterday. She was 58 and represented Indiana's 2nd Congressional District uh, and has been doing so since 2013 in a head-on car crash in Elkert County, Indiana. According to the police there, all three people in her car died, including Zachary Potts and Emma Thompson, who are both staffers in their 20s. And the driver of the other car, a 56-year-old woman, died as well. Kevin McCarthy said in a statement that Jackie had returned home to be with her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Rep. Jim Banks said Walorski was a true public servant and was a devout Christian and talked about her missionary work and asked for prayer for her family and the staffers who perished in the crash. President Biden signed an executive order yesterday as Democrats fight back on abortion. Healthcare crisis is, you know, it's just it's hard for me to even understand how they think this. Healthcare crisis is women can't get, can't choose, can't get an abortion even in the case of incest, even in the case of rape. The order from Biden provides material support to women who travel out of state to end the life of their unborn child. He also said women's health and lives are on the line, while critics were quick to respond to that, saying, yes, lives are at stake when it comes to abortion, and namely those ones in the womb. And Trail Life USA is celebrating its growing membership with more than 6,300 new individuals joining the ministry this year alone. This is a Christ-centered scouting organization for boys and they said in just the last month, over 350 people have reached out for information on starting a trail life troop and nearly 20 new troops have been formed. So those are just some of the headlines happening today. You can check out more over at CBNnews.com. And continuing on this theme, mainstream media outlets are grossly misrepresenting some basic facts about abortion. So what are the details on this one, Trey? The New York Times is uh, not surprisingly facing a lot of criticism for running a column by a couple of guest writers uh, who equated that women who have suffered miscarriage uh, are the same as those who have chosen to abort their uh, not yet born children. 
uh, so in the article, which is titled, Why Do We Talk About Miscarriage Differently from Abortion? The writers, Greer Donnelly and Jill Weber-Lenz, uh, both of whom are law professors, by the way, uh, they claim that, quote, the line between abortion and pregnancy loss has always been blurry. Uh, the authors continued, but over the past few decades, the anti-abortion mov- movement uh, has forged a cultural bright line between the two experiences, promoting dueling narratives of bad mothers who voluntarily cause fetal death versus good mothers who grieve unpreventable pregnancy loss. Uh, pregnancy loss and abortion have more in common than many people realize. They continued arguing there's a great deal of commonality between the two because the same drugs and procedures can be used in a miscarriage versus an abortion. Now, okay, this is true, uh, but the motivations are obviously wildly different. Uh, guys, I can't really uh, help but think that this is akin to someone claiming that there's you know, no difference between a person dying from like blunt force trauma to the head uh, and someone facing a terminal cancer diagnosis. Obviously, there's a huge difference, and that's where the criticism has come in. Mm. Uh, One woman, Daniela Davis, she's a writer at Spectator, uh, she actually wrote this. She said, this piece is one of the most offensive, triggering things I've ever read. She said, I've had three miscarriages myself. This isn't about whether you're pro-life or pro-choice. This is a profound difference between something that happens to you outside of your control and something that you chose for yourself. I mean, it's really stunning that this is happening in an outlet such as the New York Times, which you would think they would at least understand basic facts about biology. The difference seems so clear, guys. I don't know how other than willful ignorance and wanting to push a misleading narrative. I really can't think of any other reason why they would be doing this. Something else that the authors of this New York Times piece said, uh, you know, they said rather than noting that there's any sort of difference, they actually claimed that all of it is just about feelings. Uh, They said that the only thing separating abortion from a miscarriage is that the would-be mother who didn't want to abort her child, she just felt as if the the fetus was a human being, but in reality, it wasn't. Uh, So that's kind of where they're making their argument and and the crux of their argument, but I, I don't think it holds water at all. I think it's so interesting that the focus is on the feeling of the pregnancy, right? It's not on the reality of the fact that this is a living human being with a heartbeat, it's on the fact that, oh, you just felt that way about it. So if you can knock down those emotions and those feelings, if you can knock them out of the way, well, then suddenly you can make these very comparable and you can act as though it really doesn't matter because you were just feeling a certain way about this. That, to me, was the most incredibly disturbing thing when in reality we know that those feelings and attachment are there because that was a human life in the case of a miscarriage. You lost a human life. I think this brings a larger question into play, guys, about the media and how they're handling the language on this issue. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's not so subtle. And there was one recently talking about abortion rights are being preserved or healthcare for women is being saved. It's this sort of heroic and soaring sort of language that's being used. It's very biased. You just can't help but think if it were reversed, What if the headlines were all saying, well, President Biden is now enabling more women to kill their unborn children? It just doesn't get framed that way. And we're so used to it that I think we have stopped looking for it, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I but I think, again, if you can knock that wall down, you end up with a scenario where 
you know, you you win the rhetorical battle. And all of abortion, all of this battle on the pro-choice side, it really has been about rhetoric and words and redefining words. And so to me, this feels like another part of that, right? If we can redefine the words, we can redirect the emotions. And I don't know that, I don't think you can do that when it comes to miscarriage. So that that's what's hmm. so disturbing about this. I think, you know, as, as Christians, this story kind of highlights the need to bring it back to fundamental absolute truth right uh you know i think it's easy to to kind of play this word salad game where we redefine all these words and we say things that we don't mean uh or or we give a new term uh, to something because we don't like the the reality of something of what abortion actually is so we'll put you know reproductive care or women's health care around it yeah. like i think it's important as christians that we certainly be compassionate to women who have endured miscarriage absolutely but even women who have chosen abortion in their past i think it's important that we're compassionate but i also think it's critical that we're honest about the reality yeah. of what's what's happening here a hundred percent and for you as a listener here to this podcast you know we talk about it a lot but just be on your toes when you're consuming media. I mean, I think sometimes we can have screensavers on and we can not really be thinking about what we're reading, but notice the bias when you see it on both sides of the aisle because it's it's certainly, it's certainly there. All right, well, a Christian family, they're wrestling with what to do over the juveniles who murdered a loved one in their family. Billy, this is another tragic story. We've, As we were saying, we we're going to have a lot of prayer requests here today, but... Uh, this one, I think, is just interesting because it speaks to a larger topic as well. Yeah, you know, the friends and loved ones of the Reverend Atora Eason Williams, they are mourning her loss. She was killed on July 18th in her driveway outside of her home. She was gunned down. She's a wife, a faith leader, a mother of four. And what's so heartbreaking about this situation is the three accused, one of them is 20 years old, the other two are 15 years old. And so you have a situation where you have this reverend who was a staple in the community. People loved her. Um, she really tried to help young people, which is really the tragic part of this is that allegedly two young people took her life. Um, but the debate is what to do about these young people. The prosecutor wants to try them as adults, but there seems to be a bit of a split in the family over what to do. Uh, the husband of this reverend, his name is Daryl Eason Williams. Um, he would like to see these children tried as adults. Um, now, the children, though, of the reverend do not want to see that happen. And so you have a split there. There are some other family members who have differences of opinions and then some other faith leaders outside of the family, um, people who knew her, they too want to see not leniency. It not, it's not as though they don't want these kids to be held accountable. It's that idea of whether or not they should be tried um, as, you know, as adults, which is a very different thing than going through the juvenile um, system. The daughter, one of the daughters, Ana Ayana, her name is Hampton, of the Reverend, she said, quote, if I were to say, throw those kids under the jail, charge them as adults, give them the death penalty, send them to jail forever, I would not have learned anything from my mother in 31 years. Um, and you know, the husband though, he said, they took my best friend away from me. They did not care about her life. They could get out at 19 and have no record. Myself and her two sisters are fully behind the district attorney's request to transfer the suspects to adult court. So there's a bit of a debate there, um, but we got to be praying obviously for this family because not only are they dealing with the murder, they're dealing with a lot of this fallout at the same time. Yeah. And I can see both sides of this one because on the one hand, as Christians, we want to pursue forgiveness. We want to pursue mercy and grace and show that, especially when it pertains to potentially juveniles here. 
But on the same hand, you can do all those things and let justice take place. And it's difficult when the crime is as serious as uh, as this one is. I think it's it's incredible to see the different kinds of responses from the family because none of them are wrong. Obviously, you know, the, the idea that that the shooter could be charged as an adult is not a is, is not wrong you know it's just a, a difference of of opinion and how you handle it and i think as uh, as believers it's a good reminder to see the people who are wanting uh this kid you know to be tried in juvenile uh court rather than adult court because i think it just shows the power of forgiveness and the way that the holy spirit has maybe changed and sanctified these people's hearts uh because that's not the natural human response, right? The natural human response is, uh, I want to see justice done in the most intense way possible. So anyway, it's just, it's a cool story, but a heartbreaking one. And it's certainly a good reminder to be in prayer for this family as they process through all of the details of this, because it's unimaginably painful. It is. And um, I think as Christians, again, we, we talk about this on an upcoming episode of Faith Versus Culture on the CBN News Channel talking about this focus on self. And I think as Christians, we can kind of lose the plot in that we're really supposed to glorify God in any situation that comes our way. And while, yes, that may be through some intense grief at times, that's still the goal. Let's pray for families such as this who are going through extreme, extreme circumstances like this, because you do have a chance to glorify God in all that. And if eternity is our goal, we still have to keep that focus even in the hardest of circumstances. All right, guys, thank you very much for those stories. And now we're going to head into the main thing today. We are going to break down what happened in Kansas. There was an abortion referendum. It looked like the experts thought that this would sail through for the pro-life advocates, and it didn't happen that way at all. So we take a look at that with reporting from CBN's Heather Sells on today's main thing. The headlines yesterday morning were borderline pandemonium. A thunderclap heard round the nation, according to CNN. Politico said it was, quote, a political earthquake with the potential to reshape the entire midterm campaign. They voted overwhelmingly, as I like to say, you know, Kansans not only voted no, they voted hell no to change the Constitution. Since Dobbs, the big question has been, how will the fall of Roe pan out in November? Given the outcome, the media, often in lockstep with pro-abortion activists, were all too eager to report what they're declaring a sign of things to come. But is it that clear-cut? What really happened in Kansas this week? For starters, it's tough to glean a lot from the question on the ballot itself. It was a bit confusing, to say the least. Perhaps the Republicans' own muddled language contributed to the demise of their own initiative. An initiative that was triggered back in 2019 with a state Supreme Court decision that declared abortion to be a fundamental right, which former Kansas governor and now Senator Sam Brownback told CBN shouldn't have happened. This Kansas Supreme Court has determined that there's a right to an abortion in the Kansas Constitution, and it's not there. Turnout was much higher than expected. Analysts thought 36% would show up. The actual number? Closer to 50. And there were an unusually high number of new voters. More than 33,000 people registered to vote between April and the mid-July deadline. Most of those came after the Dobbs decision in late June. And 70% of those new voters were women. Senator Molly Baumgartner, a Republican, attributed this rise to fear-mongering. She said that Democrats 
misconstrued that a woman's life was in danger if the constitutional amendment was to pass. She added that if you're saying to vote yes means potential death to a female, that type of fear-mongering is obviously a factor. Pro-life advocate Lila Rose seconded that opinion, saying the media and the abortion industry worked overtime for months spreading lies and disinformation in Kansas. Meanwhile, Planned Parenthood and NARAL and others framed the vote as, quote, Kansans for constitutional freedom. What was at stake was our constitutional rights and our freedom. And so, um, you know, a coalition of voters across the political spectrum came together today and voted no. They voted no um, to protect their neighbors. Um, they voted no on changing the Constitution um, and really, um, you know, demonstrated our free state roots um, here in Kansas are alive and well. But as Brownback also told CBN, it wouldn't have changed the Constitution at all. It doesn't change the Constitution at all. All it does is really this is a row at the state level. The state legislature can go in and adjust the laws as, as their state representatives and the governor see fit to do, which is what should have happened and was happening 50 years ago. So because of this deceptive language, according to Republicans, opponents of the amendment united in lockstep around the falsehood that a yes vote was essentially a vote to ban abortion in Kansas. There's a lot of disinformation out there, like uh, you're not going to be able to get ectopic pregnancies taken care of. Well, that's just false information uh, that, that people are putting out. And there's just all sorts of deceptions uh, that are going on. But, you know, part of the discussion with the public has to be to go through these questions. Who said, no, ectopic pregnancies will still be able to be dealt with. With these claims being made on both sides, there's essentially a new battlefield on abortion. It's the battlefield of language, which maybe was really where this fight started all along, with the decision to call being pro-abortion, pro-choice. While the outcome isn't exactly what pro-lifers wanted, they're also not daunted either, as many don't believe this is a sign of things to come in November, as many of the headlines claimed yesterday morning. Lila Rose summed up the reason why she has confidence in achieving victory. Because we have the truth on our side, and we will work relentlessly until abortion's both illegal and unthinkable. She said at the end of the day, there's no right to kill. There is, however, a right to life. You can see more reporting on the Kansas referendum, on Dobbs, on Roe, and more on the life issue over at CBNNews.com. All right. Well, that leaves us with time for one last thing, guys. And I was thinking as I'm going through scripture and contemplating just our sinfulness. I mean, you look at there's no one in the Bible without sin and our sin is evident. But the great news in all of that is not only God's grace, but just his patience with us. You know, I think there's no shortage of things right now, obviously, that grieve the heart of the Lord if you look at culture. But it is encouraging. It gives us hope to know that uh, that God is long-suffering. He, he's willing to put up with us uh, so that we might uh, come to know him. I, this reminds me of, of 2 Peter 3.9. It says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people might think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. It's uh, just a good reminder of how compassionate uh, God is, uh, you know, to see us come to him. And I think he knows, you know, he, he knows what we need too in that process as well. And that's another amazing part yeah. of the puzzle. 
Yeah, but then again, when I look at, I mean, those are true, guys. But let's not tempt him, right? Like, let's not tempt him to uh, <laughs> just heap judgment on us. Because we deserve it. We do deserve it. And you look at culture today, and it's kind of like I'm backing away going, oh, oh, I'm not with those guys over there doing that. But, um, but it is a great message, great reminder. God is slow to anger, but great in power. So, all right, Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. We will be back here on Friday with more news from a Christian perspective. God bless. We'll see you then.